ever occurred to you just how incredible grapes are? Now think about it. That little box of raisins your mother packed in your lunch bag was the only fruit that qualified as a dessert. And consider this. When we hear juicy gossip, we say we heard it through the grapevine. We didn't hear it through the apple tree or the berry bush. Grapes are so darn special that the grocery store expects us to snitch a few to ensure quality control. Try doing that with a banana or a pineapple. Admit it, every encounter you've ever had with grapes has been positive. That's why we created Grape Encounters, a place for adults to hang out and focus on the paramount achievement of grapedom. Delicious, irresistible wine. Wine brings people together. It starts conversations. It makes us happy. In fact, wherever there are grapes, there's gorgeous scenery, very cool people, and plenty of laughter. All that being said, let's bring out your guide for this journey. The Wizard of Wine, the Gangster of Grape, David Wilson. All right, well, I told you last week that I was heading back to my home turf, which is the central coast of California. And I've been in Italy for three months and I needed to come back and do a little business. And honestly, the number one piece of business that I really needed to do was to finish up unfinished business at Tastry. It's not a bakery, although it sounds like they make pastries. But what they do, I think, is more sumptuous than pastries will ever be because they are teaching us things about wine that we've been trying to figure out for the past. I don't know. Wine's been around 8,000 years as best as we can tell. So it's taken 8,000 years for these folks to come along. But now I have in my presence heavyweights in the area of innovation, Charles Slocum and Katerina Axelson. And you know Katerina already because we've had her on like three times, but now we're getting to the meat and potatoes of wine. Katerina, look at face to face, right? It's amazing. It's so great to be here in person and meet in person. It's an entirely different experience, don't you think? Well, you know, we've got a lot in common and I can tell you that life will never be the same again since meeting you. And I mean that sincerely because so many of the things that you're doing are the things that really super interest me about food and wine. And I was just so excited to learn about Tastry, but seeing is believing. So now I get a chance to actually look behind the curtain and see what you're really doing. And I've only seen a small portion of it today, and we're going to get into it much more deeply as time goes on, but I am blown away. And I must say that I was blown away last night because our friend Charles joined us and we had our first meeting over incredible pizza and pasta. You know, that's what happens when a guy comes to visit from Italy. You take him out for Italian food. <laughs> like, uh, I, I can see you guys going, well, I wonder what he likes. I wonder what he likes. Well, I'll bet he eats pizza yeah, and, and pasta maybe too. Bingo. We went to a restaurant, by the way, that I used to profile on a local show that I did in San Luis Obispo County. The restaurant is called Flower House. It is amazing 
Now, amazing is not even close to a good enough word. Flower House is one of the finest pizzerias on planet Earth, and they've proved that a number of times, Mm -hmm. right? So we had this crazy awesome meal, and then we opened up bottles of, I want to call it my wine because I'm so intimate with it, the the Vinum Hadrianum from the Abruzzo region of Italy, because I wanted you guys to analyze it and help me to help them be able to do a better job of describing what it is. Because it's not like any other wine I've ever tasted. I should say wines because I sent you three of them. And you've put it through its paces. And what we've learned already is just mind-blowing. I like to say staggering, but that just doesn't work with wine and alcohol very well. But anyway, you taught me all kinds of things about this wine. Were you surprised at the details that came out of this analysis? I I would say so. I mean, I I see a lot of wines and the red one in this case in particular. There's some interesting data here. I'm tempted to dig into it. (laughs) We'll look at a little bit of it enough to get people super interested. But here's the thing that I want to explain to audience. It goes like this. For 8,000 years, we've been taking our best stabs at trying to explain what a wine tastes like, what the experience is going to be when you open the ceramic amphora 6,000 years ago, when you open a bottle a couple hundred years ago, when you open a can now. Mm -hmm. The hardest challenge has always been in wine for me to be able to transfer from my mind to my palate that sensation that you're going to get from the wine, the excitement you're going to get Uh, the taste experience that you're going to get for me to transfer that from my brain to your brain and hopes that you'll be enticed and want to enjoy it too. And I would say that 80% of the time we fail. That's honestly what I believe is that we do a terrible job of explaining what's in the glass, what's in the bottle. Would you guys agree, Charles? I would definitely agree with that. I think that the challenge that we have is every consumer, every lover of wine, has a different palate from every other lover of wine. Their biology is different. Their experiences are different. And trying to use the rather crude, subjective terms that we have or that are available to us to describe wine ultimately fail. Yeah, you had a great way of describing this. I said that you can finally see what you taste or you can hear what you taste perhaps is a better Mm -hmm. way of putting it. I can't transfer what's on my tongue to what's on your tongue, nor would you want me to. (laughs) (laughs) No, there's no way to do that really in a good way. And so what happens in wine is we describe things by way of comparing them to other things. Mm -hmm. So if we're like, there's something I mentioned last week, this wine writer said that if a Chardonnay is said to taste like a peach, what then does the peach taste like? And you can see how that's just an endless exercise in frustration because I'm going to describe the peach and now I got to describe Chardonnay as a peach and now I've got to describe the peach as something else and those something else is as something really else and it just doesn't go anywhere and so we get into these elaborate tasting notes that I think are for the most part worthless and I know that I irritate people I really tick them off by saying that but we've got to get past this because it's so frustrating especially like right now when people are on such tight budgets and they want to drink a good bottle of wine they go into a store they they are willing to give up one or more things in their life to buy a $38 bottle of wine or a 
$6 bottle of wine only to go home. You know, they get themselves in a comfortable position and, you know, put on the right music and they open the bottle and it's like, uh, it doesn't taste anything like what it said it was going to taste like. Mm-hmm. on the bottle. And, and I think there ought to be a prison sentences for people who misdescribe wine. Well, if you do that, then people will be so afraid to be wrong, they'll just describe it, everything is tasting like chicken. Wouldn't that be, <laughs> wouldn't that be bad? Have you, have, you guys, have you guys come across any wines that taste like chicken? No. Thankfully, yeah. thankfully no, no wines that taste like chicken. Boy, but it would be super popular, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it was really, really, really popular. So we're going to have to take a break here in just a second, but the challenge is how can we very accurately describe wines over and over and over again and explain the differences between what this Tempranillo tastes like here and what this Tanat tastes like over here. Because now we throw a bunch of spaghetti at the wall to see what's going to stick. And it really is wrong most of the time. And I'm sorry, but it is wrong most of the time. Yeah, no, I think that's true. And I think what you're describing is what what we would refer to as an infinite regress, right? What the heck is that? If you have something that tastes like something, then what does that thing taste like? But then that described that as tasting like something else. And, and you ultimately, you're just regressing away from the topic, away from what you're trying to accomplish. At Tastery, what we try to do is identify for the wine lover the wines that they're going to love and let them describe them. Let them experience those differences instead of trying to characterize those things. Although we have some ability to do that, you want someone to be able to purchase a wine with confidence, go home and enjoy that wine. That's the point. Yeah. And it's going to have its subtleties. And, 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 and you guys have just totally nailed it. We're going to explain how and why and also pull in the sample wines that I gave you because I know these wines really well. And so now I have the opportunity to listen to what you have to say about them based upon the artificial intelligence that helped you to analyze these wines. And I can say, yeah, or no, thank so, okay? So we're going to get into that in just a second. We've got in the studio today, Katarina Axelson, founder and CEO. I think sort of like they're definitely the queen bee of this hive here. And then uh, Charles Slocum, who I learned has made himself irreplaceable when he came into the program early on and really gave it a heart and soul and direction. So really super interesting people that we will rejoin in just a few minutes on Grape Encounters radio. Something amazing happened to me the other day at Total Wine and More. I found my new favorite Cabernet at a totally low price. What will you find? Check out the wondrous selection at TotalWine.com where you'll find what you love and love what you find. Drink responsibly. Be 21. At MM Organics, we're surrounded by health nuts. That's because we're obsessed with lowering blood pressure, cholesterol, and the risk of cancer. We want to make weight loss easier and help you strengthen everything from your heart to your teeth, nails, and hair. Full disclosure, those health nuts are actually dry-farmed heirloom certified organic raw walnuts. Rich with essential vitamins and nutrients, they're vastly superior to other nuts. Imagine 
Walnuts can actually lower stress and boost your brain power. No wonder MM Organics customers are so darn smart. MMOrganics.com is where you'll find our uniquely irresistible raw walnuts, walnut butter, oil and flour, sprouted flavored walnuts, and decadent fair trade chocolate covered walnuts, which pair beautifully with our legendary two horse port style wine. MMOrganics.com eating any other nuts is just plain nuts. And this edition of Grape Encounters is brought to you by Total Wine and More. One of the absolute best ways I'm able to discover the latest and greatest Cabernet, Chardonnay, or artisan spirit is to go exploring at Total Wine and More. A whole lot more. Like the smile of an expert eager to help you find a new favorite. And the confidence of knowing there's something special everywhere you look. Plus, the freedom to discover a mind-blowing selection at totally low prices online at TotalWine.com. Where you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Please drink responsibly. Be 21. You know what the most fun part of hosting a radio show is? It's the conversation that goes on during the commercial breaks, wherein somebody who is seemingly shy, like Katerina, says, there's so many jokes I want to weave into this conversation. Uh-oh. Your, your eyes are piercing me right now because I wasn't supposed to say that. <laughs> are, do you tell jokes? Oh, yeah. You do? Oh, yeah. No, your- not on radio, but... You know, in private <laughs> with my team. Uh, okay, all right. <laughs> Feel free to, to throw in. You know, what's really funny is in the last two years, I, people don't joke much. They just don't. And I have no ability to refrain from joking. And so I'm always joking. And sometimes people just get irritated with me. But why? These are crazy times. That's when comedy clubs... Because because they want to be, they want to be irritated. That's why. They don't want to get over... <laughs> over it they want to just sit there and pout yeah and they do it's addicting isn't it get over it you know (laughs) we're trying to find you some good wine here so if you just give us half a chance we're going to change the world of wine you guys are changing the world of wine because you can take a bottle of wine and run it through processes is that right and then you can know rather reliably what is in that bottle and you can match it to a person's preferences quite well. Talk about the that that process and just I mean it doesn't have to be a long description, but from the time that a winemaker hands you samples, I handed you three bottles. Mm-hmm. What does it do? Do we, we first we put the bottles in little nightgowns that are open in the back, right? <laughs> and then what? Um, we we t- take them carefully. We handle them in our lab. We uh, have them analyzed with our proprietary. Um, equipment but, but and methodology. I mean, I mean, is, are there, explain your lab to people. Are there bubbling cauldrons everywhere and, you know, the blue liquids and bright hot pink liquids and, you know, the sort of standard vision that we all have of a mad scientist laboratory? Or... I think I like the way you're imagining it as opposed to what it really is, well, which yeah. is which is just a fancy lab <laughs> where we, we take a test tube and we put the wine through a machine. I know, not very romantic. During the break, I'm going to show you my idea of what that laboratory looks like because I've got it. <laughs> I've got it on my website someplace. I'll have to show it to you. But anyway, okay. So you've got all this, but you do have equipment, and That's then right. how much wine does it take for you to be able to analyze it and and figure out what's going on in there? 
that's classified. I'm joking. It's about 50 mils. 50 mils. Yeah. Okay. So we have a lot of wine left over. So, so yes, and we learned that last night. Yeah. Uh, you were kind enough to return the wine that you didn't use for analysis to our dinner at Flower House. It seems like we gave wine to every person in the restaurant, and it was busy in there last night. We really did, didn't we? It and was one big focus group. We honestly, though, didn't really need your analysis because everybody loved the wine, which was good, right? Mm. Yeah. You included, right? I did. I really, I was really surprised by how much I like this wine. You know, it's, people ask me all the time, why are you living in Italy? Um, You changed everything in your life. And the simple answer is because I love what they're doing. Mm Mm-hmm making wines according to the way they were made 2,000 years ago. But I'm going to add to that, that I love what you're doing, you guys are doing, because it's very similar in a lot of respects. And I love what Flower House, the pizzeria is doing, because they're also going down that thing that we call the road less traveled. Mm. That, you know, like, let's stop doing things the way everybody's doing it, and let's do it differently, or for heaven's sakes, let's do it right, you know, because we can sit there, that's all we do with wine is like, let's come up with more adjectives. Can somebody uh, uh, check online and and see if anybody's selling, you know, adjectives by the thousand? Mm -hmm. And we'll just use those to to describe wine. And it's not getting us anywhere because we still have lots and lots of people who are throwing away lots and lots of wine, or at least they're having a less than pleasurable experience. And that's where we are. I think it's fascinating. One of the things that you mentioned last night was how varietal specific a lot of wine is made and how that actually limits the creativeness of of what might... Don't get me started on this. (laughs) But I think that's fascinating. I also think what's interesting about what Tastry does is that we have worked with many winemakers and what we find is sometimes the old methods, the most traditional methods, we will identify that those are the best methods. And a, a lot of the more advanced, complicated, even more expensive methods that have been embraced actually are not the best solution. And uh, I think we talked about that last night as well. And I think that these wines that we had last night were a great example of an ancient way to make wine. And it made three very uniquely characteristic, u- unique wines that everybody everybody that tried those wines loved. Yeah, well, you know, I, I get this vision with these wines that there are couple of gladiators and they're in what are, what do they call those things that gladiators ride around in chariots. chariots that's it chariots of fire no less and they're and they're in the chariot and they're going off into the sunset and then all of a sudden you see the chariot skid to a halt and you hear the gladiator yell out in italian wait wait a moment we had it right way back there let's go back and they go back a thousand years to the height of the roman empire and they decide that we probably should continue making wine in terracotta amphoras because it was the right thing to do. And what's so interesting, like, and I think this really makes the point is these wines that you tasted, especially the red wine, they taste like they've got a considerable amount of oak in them and they don't have a drop. And so what we what we thought, what people have been describing for a long time as oak, turns out it might not be oak. It and, might not be. It might be that the there are aspects of, of the wine and the chemistry that give it that perception. So certainly the wines that we tried last night would be described as having oak characteristics when, as you said, when we look at the when we look at the the chemistry of the wine, there is no oak on those wines. So there is one one thing that's very common among old world wines, in other words, wines from Europe, and it's what you can say because it's not a dirty word. 
What's that? Oh, Brett. 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 Yeah. And a part of that uh, with these wines is there is an amount of Brett on those wines. Um, and Would you explain what Brett is? Yeah. 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 So Brett is what um, it's a, a microorganism that uh, creates a, a flavor component in wine uh, when it's there. Some wineries will consider that to be a contamination, but a, a lot of historically and even today, a lot of fantastic wines have some Brett on them. And uh, I think that a lot of these uh, compounds, which I won't bore anybody with, but a lot of these compounds we can see are actually in oak. And we can also see that they can be created in other ways. And that can be one of them. And so uh, these compounds can give a, a perception of a depth to a wine that you might otherwise just find with oak. Yeah, exactly. But there are some people that will, will look at you after you've had a sip of wine with Brett and they say, oh, ugh, you've got bad breath. Got bad breath. Bad breath. <laughs> Katarina, I, I took a swat there at a joke and I failed. Okay. Oh. <laughs> okay. Anyway, we got to take a break real quick here. We're going to come back in just a second. I am talking to Katarina Axelson and Charles Slocum from Tastry. They are doing the most amazing things in the wine industry right now. And we're wrapping up this series that we have done with them over the past couple of weeks here on Grape Encounters. Smoke from increasing wildfires is tainting wine grapes and vineyard executives are looking for new ways to adapt. Pure Fresh Wines O3 technology helps vineyards overcome the problems caused by wildfire smoke by treating grapes pre-crush to improve fermentation and overall wine quality, as well as removing smoke taint. For the typical winery, saving a full harvest of grapes with Pure Fresh Wine costs only 10 cents per bottle. O3 technology has been approved by the FDA and USDA. It leaves no residue and uses no chemicals. It provides many benefits to wineries, including the removal of sulfur, pesticides, and fungicides pre-crush, the reduction of bad bacteria and mold issues, an improvement in roundness and fruit-forward palate notes, and so much more. Most importantly, it safely and naturally breaks down smoke taint molecules to save grapes from damage. Rescue your harvest from smoke taint. Visit purefreshwine.com today. When you discover a new favorite bottle of Chardonnay, sparkling wine, or artisan spirit at Total Wine & More, you'll discover a whole lot more. Like the friendly smile of an expert guide, ready to help you find that perfect bottle. And the confidence of knowing you just found something really special. Explore the wondrous selection and totally low prices at TotalWine.com, where you'll find what you love and love what you find. Please drink responsibly. Be 21. This edition of Grape Encounters is brought to you by Total Wine and More. When you discover a new favorite bottle of Chardonnay, sparkling wine, or craft spirit at Total Wine and More, you'll discover a whole lot more. Like the confidence of knowing you just found something really special. So explore the wondrous selection at TotalWine.com, where you'll find what you love and love what you find. Please drink responsibly. Be 21. Back 
with Grape Encounters Radio, and I was going to say in the studio with me, but I'm not in a studio. I'm in a conference room over at Tastry with Charles Slocum and Katarina Axelson. Katarina, I cannot say Katarina without sounding like a bad commercial for a foreign film. (laughs) But it is really, really super nice to be here. We didn't really finish the explanation of the process, so the wines come in and they go into what? How do we analyze them? How do we tell what's in the bottle? I, I don't even get it. Well, if you were to walk into our lab, you would recognize equipment that would be similar to something you would find at a UC Davis or Cornell or yeah. Harvard. It wouldn't be exotic. It would just be very high end. Um, the, the uniqueness isn't the equipment. It's the way we trained the equipment and the methods that we invented to use on that equipment. So we have a method loaded, a program loaded in that equipment. We put a, a sample of 50 milliliters of wine in that equipment. And then we capture all the compounds and all the ratios of those compounds and that essence, the chemistry, and export that data into a computer file that gets fed into our AI engine. That's a precise answer. Is this all pretty much automated then, this process? Or are we taking one chunk of data and then, you know, have to insert it into machine B? And, or, I mean, can, can we just put the wine in and walk away? I guess that's what I'm saying. So, Charles, you might have to advise as to how I can answer this question because you do talk about the security. Yeah, so we actually run one sample through multiple pieces of equipment. The data that comes out of those equipment is all automatically fed into an AI engine. And that AI engine is decoding the relationships between those chemistries and quantifying the chemistries. Primarily, we're looking at volatiles, non-volatiles that are relevant to the flavor of the product. And that means the taste, the aroma, the texture, and the color. All of that is what we call decoded. We're decoding the flavor matrix. And then what comes out the other end is an algorithm that says, this is what this wine is. And we can use that wine to match it against palates to find out who's going to like those wines and who's not going to like those wines. Okay, so this is going to sound like I'm making a joke, and I'm not, okay? But let's just say that somebody in your lab decides to put a little Dr. Pepper inserted into the process. I mean, it's a liquid, and it's going to have a lot of those flavor components, right, that would be in wine. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's going to happen? And by the way, did this happen on April Fool's Day? (laughs) (laughs) No, it didn't happen, but it could. If we were to do that, and that has actually, it sort of does happen. So we have samples that are sent to us that claim to be wine, and the AI will immediately identify that as an, an adulterated product. So it flags it and it says, whatever this is, it's not wine. It identifies that. And then it goes ahead and it does the rest of its analysis. So it will say, well, this is what it's going to taste like. This is what it's going to look like. This is what the aroma is going to be, but it's going to flag it immediately as not a wine. And I think we've had this discussion before, David, there are a lot of products out there that are based upon grape juice or even fermented grape juice that really aren't wine. And our AI will identify that immediately. So this actually really raises an interesting question which is, let's say that I am a Dr. Pepper lover. Like I drink, you know, 12 cans of it a week or something like that. Hypothetically, couldn't we use your technology or something like your technology to find wines and other things that people would enjoy based upon the stuff that they currently enjoy. Absolutely. That's absolutely true. So we we do work with um, companies that are building other beverages, um, low alcohol wine, no alcohol wine, um, ready to drink type products. And yeah, helping them to identify what people are going to like and what they're not going to like. So what you're doing, by the way, if I understand this correctly, is something 
something that has been like a massive part of the fragrance industry for a long time. Like it seems like they've done a better job at understanding what makes something smell a certain way and makes it pleasurable. Is that correct? And the reason I ask this is because, as I said at the beginning of the show, that it seems like it's a crapshoot where wine is concerned when you're sitting around a table with judges who all are tasting something that is completely different, or at least this one's saying cherry, this one's saying strawberry, this one's saying you know, apple or boysenberry, you know, maybe they have a completely different idea of what each of those fruits taste like. And and so that's why the answers are coming out differently. But then again, if every last one of them said strawberry, we know that this person grew up on strawberry prepared one way, and this person ate strawberry pie that was made another way, and none of it is going to be the same. So the question, I guess, is in the fragrance industry, have they mechanized it in a better way? Do they understand what those components, what each of those components really is? I heard somebody say, I think it might have been you, that they have a gazillion different types of vanilla. Mm-hmm. Thousands of flavors for strawberry. Thousands. Uh, yeah, thousands. How to uh, get how? Years and years of research development and scientists and flavorists collaborating it's all the flavor houses have their own secret formulas have you been to any of those places i've met with a lot of the you know those the flavor house companies are they interested in you guys oh yeah why because they have very similar problems with understanding flavor and preference and how is it all connected and how does a what a scientist or a flavorist think how does that correlate to what the population thinks and perceives how's that translatable yeah Yeah. katarina and i met with the CEO of One Flavor House and uh, one of the oldest 250-year-old company. And their problem is that they've got flavor specialists, they've got descriptions of products that go back a very long time, but those data aren't relevant to them anymore because what somebody thought strawberry tasted like 50 years ago is not the same perception today. And so they've been collecting all this data, but they're finding it's not really useful. So the data only has a certain shelf life and then they're kind of starting over all the time. Okay, so going back to what you're doing, you have the ability literally to identify much more specifically what the flavor really is that we're tasting in a certain wine or in certain wines. Now you should be able to, I would guess, you should be able to tell me, the winemaker, no, I'm not really, but to tell me what is the common denominator between the all the Cabernets that people are loving the most that are really rocking it. Yeah, I think the the common denominator is that there is no common denominator. The truth is that there is a flavor matrix effect. There are hundreds of compounds that are responsible for what you're experiencing and it doesn't boil down to benzaldehyde or diacetyl. And the mistake I think that a lot of winemakers have made trying to decode this flavor matrix is trying to distill this down to two or three or five compounds. Uh, yeah. It's a matrix. Oh, uh, you want to add something? That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> you, you had this look of uh, pride on your face because I know you, you had said you might like to take it in a different direction and he took it there. That's, yeah, it's paradigm shifting thinking right here. So one of the <laughs> one of the things we talked about last night and I talked about it, I ranted about it on last week's show is the McDonald's cheeseburger. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's this very benign food that we don't think that much about but in reality we think about it all the time and people literally go crazy in the middle of the afternoon thinking I just got to get out and get one of those McDonald's cheeseburgers of which they make 40 billion every single day and yet the world says it's not very good 
good. Guess what? It's very good. It's amazingly good because it's got some kind of flavor components in there. I don't know if it's a component or components in there that people would practically kill for. So we can just sit there and say all day long that that little, you know, 99 cent jewel is meaningless. But I would think it would mean a lot to people like you, mm. you know, that there's there are that there are those things out there that are so pleasing that people just, you know, can't stand to live without it. It's like waking up in the morning and smelling coffee. Mm-hmm. How many times have we used the phrase, wake up and smell the coffee? Because it's like so pleasurable. And if you could take that, whatever makes that smell so desirable and put it in a bottle of wine, the wine would sell Mm -hmm. for sure, wouldn't it? I think it's a very simple and beautiful formula. I also think a component of this is when when you go to McDonald's, you know exactly what you're going to get. Yeah, you know, I've been living in Italy for three months now. And the one thing that I have failed to do is to go to a McDonald's. And I, I keep saying to myself, I see them when I get into places like Rome, not in the small towns like where I'm at most of the time, but I just want to taste it because every McDonald's that I've ever been to in every major city in every country in the world, I'll tell you what, that's pretty similar. And we and we really love that. I, I want to come back in just a second and relate that back to wine because there are certain wines that are made by the millions of bottles and it is so important that those wines remain really consistent or people will freak out right (laughs) they will and uh, i kind of would like to know what your role is in all that when we return with more grape encounters and my friends katarina axelson and charles slocum Uh, it sounds like a, a country western star by the way charles slocum anyway we'll be back with more grape encounters right after this Something amazing happened to me the other day at Total Wine & More. I found my new favorite Cabernet Sauvignon at a totally low price. As soon as I picked it up, it felt like, aha, I knew it was the one. So go explore their wondrous selection and you'll feel it too. Because at Total Wine & More, you'll find what you love and love what you find. Download the Total Wine app or visit TotalWine.com. But please drink responsibly. Be 21. Back with Grape Encounters Radio and two people who have figured it all out. It's so nice to be able to say that, that something that has dogged us forever is now for the most part been solved. It's now been solved. It's like it's like saying that there is now a cure for the common cold. And so my metaphor, the common cold cure, um, is for Katerina and Charles from uh, Tastry because the age old question in wine has been, what, what does it taste like? It's like, it's like, you 
cannot believe how many times I have sat in my wine bar, which I don't have anymore, but I've sat in the wine bar and people use this phrase and it's just the same phrase. What am I getting? They go, what am I getting? What am I getting here? I'm getting, I'm getting coconut. I'm getting, uh, you know, all kinds of things. I'm getting the common cold. They can't feel comfortable with a glass of wine unless they can describe it. Drives them absolutely nuts. But guess what? You know, we don't do that about our cars. Nobody even cares what's under the hood of a Prius or a Tesla. It's just something that goes. And we don't care what is really driving the flavor of that McDonald's cheeseburger. Wine, though, it's a different thing. Why do you guys think that people are so obsessed about identifying flavors in wine? I think that the I think the mistake people make is trying to define it, actually. And what you're describing is defining it. They're trying to define it with very coarse terms. I, I rather like the idea of looking at a wine like you might look at a Monet or like like you might look at a Michelangelo. And you just need to experience it. Take it in. You know, you don't you don't look at a Monet and then tear it apart and start saying, well, I think that's cerulean blue over there and, and this is kind of like a uh, an ochre. I think that, that I think that's a disservice to the artist. What you want to do is take in the entire take in the entire product and do you enjoy it? How does it make you feel? I think you said this last night, David. You talked about really we should describe wine in the way that it affects us emotionally. Exactly. And I think yeah. I think that is that is much more accurate. I think trying to define it is something that uh, people have taken on because it's the way people in the media and in the industry try to communicate to one another what this is like. I don't think that's probably valuable at all to somebody who's just trying to experience the wine. So Charles, mark my word, and I mean this sincerely, mark my word, that in a matter of just a couple of years, I'm going to say three, maybe four on the outside, people are going to come to a realization, and especially scientists like y'all, like y'all scientists, um, are going to come to the realization that we we knew how to wrap our arms around this all the time. We just didn't do it. And let me explain for a second. I talk about on the show all the time, relationship between music and wine, and why it is that certain types of music, when played while consuming certain types of wine, make that wine seem a lot better. Colors. We know that if, uh, for instance, I put a great big bouquet of red roses in the middle of this table and I served you, uh, I don't know, let's say uh, a nice uh, big Zinfandel, that you would enjoy it more because of those roses that are sitting there. And it's not just because they're flowers, because I could put any number of different flowers there and it wouldn't have the same impact because these are red roses and it's it can be the color of the glass some wine glasses are tinted i go crazy when i see people doing that because that tint can really change how we feel about the wine i wrote a article one time it's uh, called uh, eight things that you can do to make a wine taste better that have nothing to do with what's in the bottle and, and so there's, there are all these things that we know change our perception. They change our perception about music. They change our perception about the person we're out on a date with. They change our perception about uh, what kind of mood we're in. I mean, this happened the other day. A friend of mine said, hey, you know what? Let's just go see a movie. And we went to go see, what is the Cumberbatch movie out right now? Anyway, it's an Avenger movie. And yeah, I was in a better mood after I left the movie. And as a matter of fact, by the way, I I believe very strongly that you cannot watch an episode of Ted Lasso and not feel 30% happier about life. That's right. So, so we know all of these things. We just have to connect the dots. 
And I think that with with wine, if you can identify what each of these components likely or how they will likely impact our perception of something and whether we love it more or, or less, that's going to be the game changer there because I'll be able to know I'm on a tangent now. You know, I, I got to stop. I'm going I'm going crazy about this because I know in my heart this is true. No, I think it's absolutely true. Context matters. Even Tastry AI, uh, it's not something a lot of our consumers see or a lot of our winemakers see, but the AI actually does identify context. And the context in which you are consuming that product actually changes the way you'll perceive it. And that's a difficult thing to convey. And I think, you know, we talked about this last night. Maybe uh, you and Tastry, Katarina, should go down this road and figure out what are all these other sensory-based experiences and emotional experiences and how do we tie that into recommendations going forward? Because I think it probably is a powerful component. I, I'm, I'm going to put the odds of us actually doing that at, I don't know, 100%. There you go. We have I'm, to, I'm down. No. What about you, Katarina? Sounds good. No, we, we have to do it because it's it's the the we can really help people enjoy the wine experience much better, the food experience much better, every experience much better. You mentioned something and I kind of didn't answer your question, so I'm just going to make this one statement, which is that we, it all comes down to how does it make us feel? And we, last night, if you will recall, we had some ricotta cheesecake. And for me, that was such a huge part of growing up because my mother made a brilliant ricotta the cheesecake. And so I don't know if it was as much about the ricotta cheese and the ingredients as it was that you associate that with some of the most wonderful experiences in life. And and that I think, it, it couldn't that be part of it? That there are these flavors that we associate with Christmas or birthdays or, you know, your first kiss. You know, that's a that's one of those Listerine strips that you put on. <laughs> anyway, um, what do you think? Uh, I think that's one of the major foundational ideas that we incorporate into this technology. Uh, we have this, you know, quiz you know, if you want to call it, where we ask you questions about what you like. And imagine one of those questions is, do you like ricotta cheesecake, right? It's pretty simple, but I, I didn't have to predict the events that led you to liking it. I just need to know if you like it. And then I could use that to figure out how you're going to draw relationships between other things you haven't had yet. Is that... No, no, that, 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 that makes, a, a, makes, oh, makes a lot of sense. No. But is that for real? Do you actually ask questions like that? Yeah, we have a, what is it, a couple hundred question question bank so we, i mean i know we have diet pepsi in there and pellegrino i have to check on the cheesecake you guys thank you so much for being on thanks I, for having us i really thank you so much david i really appreciate it i love what you're doing i think the world is going to love you f for helping them not waste money and helping them really find ones that they are really going to love and i'll end it with this those of you who often say to me, I don't like red wine, or I don't like Chablis, or I don't, whatever it is, I don't like bubbly. I always answer you with the same statement, which is, that's because you haven't found the right one yet. There are millions of wines out there, and they're waiting for you to try them. And I think with the help of people like Charles and Katarina, that it won't be a guessing game anymore. We'll see you next week. Are you following Grape Encounters on social media yet? You're not? Well, you should be. 
It's the best way to hear the latest, juiciest, unfiltered wine stories. It's also the single best way to keep our unpretentious, decidedly different wine conversations going strong. We're on Instagram and Twitter at Grape Encounters. For tons of content on Facebook, you'll want to join our Grape Encounters radio group page. Or if LinkedIn is more your thing, connect with me by typing Grape Encounters Radio or Grape Encounters David in the search bar. Here's the deal. The more you click, the more I'll pour.